Well, good morning again. Good to see you. I had a great evening last night. We went down to the uh, Marina campus. Uh, they hosted a, a Christmas gathering for all those that are part of that campus, and we had probably 40 to 50 folks down there, opportunity for us to meet uh, the people. The mayor of uh, Marina was there. One of the council members was there. They gave our church a, a certificate from uh, the city of Marina telling us thank you for being such a great partner. There's a lot of things we've done down there uh, to help. But the most compelling part of the story was when I found out that uh, the Marina campus was a former uh, VFW and had a bar right in the center of it, right? It was a big bar. That's where it, what it used to be. And, and I thought, boy, what a great story. You know, in a world where old churches in some of the large cities around the world are being turned into bars and nightclubs, we've got a bar that we turned into a church. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I like that story. That's a good one. So you tell all your friends, we're the kind of church, we turn bars into churches. That's what we do. And watch them go, huh? That'll be great. Hey, how many of you remember uh, receiving the Sunday newspaper at your house or your grandma and looking at the cartoons? Do you remember that on Sunday doing that? One of my most favorite cartoons was uh, one called Family Circus because it had basically one big circle, right, and one storyline to it. Bill Keen was the, was the imaginative writer of that. And I went back and looked and found a couple I thought were pretty funny for Christmas, so here they are. Uh, this one is great because it says, uh, not a drop of clothes so far. This is our best Christmas ever, right? The viewpoint of a kid. All right, here's one for you. Two brothers talking. After today, we only have to be good for one more week. That's it. So that's good. And then the final one kind of relates to our story today. It's good that Jesus was born in a stable because when the shepherds came, they now had a place to park their sheep. So there you go. <laughs> kind of fun stuff. And then I thought, you know, uh, we talk a lot about what we want for Christmas. And so we tell people, but I learned actually this week, it's just as important to make sure you understand what your friends want because that could impact you. I heard a story about three guys who uh, went sailing. They left Monterey Bay and they went out towards Hawaii and wanted to head on towards Fiji and all of that. Uh, but what happened, their boat uh, hit a storm and unfortunately they shipwrecked on this deserted island. And they were there for a couple of months and along came Christmas. They were walking along the shore of the beach and the three of them and one of them happened upon this ancient lamp. And so he picked it up and he started to clean it and lo and behold, out pops a genie. And the genie says, well, Merry Christmas. Thanks for freeing me from the lamp. And since it's Christmas, I normally only give one guy three wishes, but what I'll do is I'll give each guy one wish. And the first guy says, oh, that sounds fantastic. I am a rancher from Wyoming. And for Christmas this year, on Christmas morning, I would love to be back at my ranch in Wyoming. And poof, he's back at his ranch. Second guy says, well, I, I'm a stockbroker from Manhattan. And for Christmas, I, would, I wish that I was just back in my office, uh, meeting with my clients and, and back in Manhattan. And instantly, poof, he was back in Manhattan, sitting at his desk, computer, papers, phones, the whole thing. Well, the third guy, he was kind of happy-go-lucky, really didn't mind his experience there on the island. He thought it was kind of fun. He told the genie, I'm, I'm kind of okay with all this, but what I really wish, wish for Christmas is my two friends were back with me. Yeah, poof, poof, there you go. So be careful what your friends ask. That's going to be the big one, right? Well, today we're looking at this uh, topic of the promise of God's presence at Christmas. Have, have you ever met someone famous? Let me see a show of hands. Anybody in here ever met someone famous? Yeah, if you have, don't worry about it. I've got some help for you. I discovered a, um, a website that actually provides for you 10 steps 
and how to meet someone famous in 2023. And that might seem like a daunting task for somebody. So I found another website that makes it a little bit easier. Uh, This is a website that actually allows you to set up a phone conversation uh, with somebody famous for a fee. For example, if you go on the website, you can actually set up a personal phone call uh, with Shark Tank personality Mark Cuban. I didn't know you could do that. And it's only $166 a minute. That's it. Just $166 a minute. So for 30 minutes, it's $5,000. Well, without the 10 steps or without paying $166 a minute, um, like many of you, I've been able to meet a few famous people over the years. And each time the experience is a bit similar. There's always a slight excitement in the air, and the people all around tend to act a little differently, right? But here's a question for us, considering being, uh, experiencing the presence of God. What would it be like if God wanted to meet you? How would that make you feel? What if God wanted to introduce himself to you face to face? How would you feel about that? I mean, I thought about that. I, I thought maybe I might be a little nervous. I might be a little anxious, maybe a little tense. Some might feel afraid, others excited. Kind of, if we're honest, it would probably be a a, a mix of all those emotions all wrapped up into one big uh, internal exhilaration, right? You know, I thought about that because it kind of must have been like that for the shepherds in today's story that we're going to take a look at. Here they were just minding their own business, right? They were tending their flocks, and suddenly out of nowhere, in an instant, poof, an angel shows up and shocks them with some incredible news. And it wasn't just one angel. The Bible says after the one angel, a host of heavenly angels came and joined in in the event. And at the center of this angelic message was an invitation for some ordinary shepherds to meet with God. Wow, that's pretty cool. And we find this invitation in verse 12 of Luke chapter 2 up here on the screen. The angel's talking, and you will recognize Jesus by this sign. You will find, there's the invitation, go see it. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. So as you may remember, we're in the middle of this Christmas series entitled Christmas at the Movies. And I title it that because it's like a five-part mini-series focusing on five different Christmas scenes within the Bible that illuminate for us the Christmas story. You might remember the first week of December was scene one when we looked at the promise of God's son. And that was the angel talking to Mary, explaining to her what was about to happen. Last week, we briefly took took a look at uh, scene two, which is the promise of God's love. And that was uh, Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem. And then the shepherds hearing this introductory invitation to go see Jesus. And today we're going to move into scene three. And this is the promise of God's presence. The shepherds did something to experience God that I think will help us today. And so the question becomes for you and I, how do we experience God's presence this Christmas? Because according to the passage in Luke chapter 2, verses 15 to 20, there are actually three steps that you and I must take if we want to experience God's presence. And here's the cool part, ready? It doesn't just apply to the biblical story at Christmas. And it doesn't just apply to us each and every year in the month of December. It actually applies to us all throughout the year. These three foundational steps we're going to learn today are going to help us in our walk with Christ if you want to experience God in your life and an everyday principle. 
So let's dive into the story of the heavenly angels, some scruffy shepherds, and a newborn baby. And the first thing we need to learn is if we want to experience God's presence is we need to be where God is moving. So if you have your notes, go ahead and fill that in. Be where God is moving. And we'll pick up here in Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels went away from the shepherds, they went into heaven. And the shepherds then said to one another, hey, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So if you have your uh, notes with you, underline the phrase, let's go uh, to see this thing. That's kind of the, fr- the phrase there we're looking at. What are we learning here? I think we're finding a few take- takeaways in this passage. We're learning that when God is moving, the choice is actually up to us. Did you know that? If we want to get involved. If you want to get involved with where God's moving, God's going to leave that up to you. God's not going to make you do something. If you want to experience God's presence this Christmas and this next year, God's not going to force it upon you. Look what happened. The angels showed up, and then the angels left. And the shepherds' response to their message was entirely up to them. It was their choice. You know, years ago, um, early on in our ministry, Dee, my wife, and I, we would host uh, quarterly youth and teen events And for some reason, these events were uh, very well uh, received. We would get fantastic feedback from the teens and from the other church leaders in attendance. And we kept pouring into this ministry until eventually it turned actually into one of the largest Christian teen events in the state of Arizona. We actually saw over 5,000 teens in yearly attendance, representing over 250 churches from a five-state region in the southwest of our country. And the best part is we would see hundreds of teens give their hearts to Christ each and every year. But I got to tell you, we had no idea what God had in mind when we started that little event. When we first showed up to that local church where we were invited to be the youth pastor, our youth group was only 30 or 40 teenagers in size. That was it. But God was moving in a special way and we kept just leaning into it. We kept loving the other local churches, local youth leaders, and God blessed it and did something spectacular. And I learned something in those years of ministry, those early years. I learned that God loves to surprise us when we step out in faith for him. He does. I think he gets a kick out of it. God loves to surprise us when we say, let's go. Let's go check out. Let's go see this thing that has happened. That's what the shepherd said. And I think that God likes it when we say it too. Then I thought to myself when I was developing this message, I was like, well, why does God like that? And I came across an old story that I remember from a a Renaissance scholar. His name is Erasmus. He was a very sharp theologian, and he lived during the times of Martin Luther and John Calvin. And I remember this story that he wrote, an imaginative story. He tells the time of, of why it's so important for Christians to get involved with what God's doing in their church and in their community. And he tells a story of how Jesus, maybe when he returned to heaven after his time on earth, that the angels gathered around to learn what happened. And Jesus tells the angels of his miracles and his teachings, his death on the cross and his resurrection. And when he finishes the story, Michael the archangel asks Jesus, well, what happens now? What what happens next to the story? And Jesus looks at him and says, well, I left behind 11 faithful disciples I left behind a handful of men and women who have faithfully followed me, and they are the ones who will declare my message, and they are the ones who will express my love for all humanity. They will be the faithful people and take the message of the gospel to the world. They will build my church. Michael kind of puzzled, scratches his head and says, um, 
they're humans, right? <laughs> what if they fail? What's your backup plan? And Jesus says, there is no backup plan. That is my plan. Wow. Yeah. So think about that, friends. I mean, if I was God, I don't know if I would trust us to carry out his plan. <laughs> but he does. We're it. We're it. The church. People. Human beings. And so when we step out and we get excited about what God's doing in something, then God gets behind us. So we experience God when we get involved with where he's moving. But there's a second thing I learned in this little passage. We learn this. Not only is the choice up to us to get involved, but when the big thing is over, we need to not be afraid to focus in on the little things. What do I mean by that? I want you to notice that the shepherds in the story are doing their regular, normal, everyday job, right? And then we'll say a big God moment happens, right? I think angels showing up, talking to you would be a God moment, right? That's something pretty big. That's a, a pretty big spiritual experience. But then we notice, according to the story, that after the big event, the angels all left. That's it. So big event, angels left, it's back to normal. But what happened? The follow-up, the shepherds followed up on that big moment. But the follow-up wasn't another big event. The follow-up actually was a trip to a stable. Interesting. Kind of a little thing, right? It's a little thing, but re it did require some effort. I mean, quite frankly, nobody wants to get up in the middle of a cold night and travel to an unassuming stable somewhere to go check something out, right? That seems like a very little task. But when they showed up, they discovered that that's where the action happens. They discovered through an act of humble obedience that that's where God was, and they met Jesus face to face. That's pretty cool. It's a little bit like one time when Jesus was talking to his disciples and they were asking him what's going to happen when they face the judgment. And he's, Jesus said, well, there's going to be sheep and there's going to be goats. And somebody said, well, how do we know the difference? And Jesus gave him an illustration that if you do these things, then you're doing it to me. And if you don't do these things, then you're not uh, doing the little things that I want you to be doing. And in Matthew 25, verses 35 to 36, he's very clear. He says, for when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you, you came to visit me. And the disciples said, well, Lord, when were you all of this? When were you in prison? I didn't get a note on that. When did you not have clothes? And he said, when you've done it to the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. You see, the little things, that's what's important to God. It's, it's easy to jump on board with the big things, right? It's easy. But it's a different thing to continue to follow in humble obedience to God in the little things that he asks of us. But I think we find the presence of God in both things. It's not an either or, it's an and both. And that's the lesson here. So friend, if you want to experience God this Christmas, you want to be where God is moving in both the big things and in the little things. But more practically for you, let me break it down this way. How do you do that in an everyday life? It's real simple. Get to church, get connected, and get involved, right? Get to church. That's the big thing. Come to church as often as you can. God's presence is here. And then get connected. Get into a small group. That's where the little things, we take it and we break it down into further questions and we pray for each other. And then don't forget to get involved. Be in an act of service somewhere. Be on the worship team. Help with the kids. Help with the youth, right? Help build some of our campuses that we're doing. Be on a work crew. Be an usher. Be a greeter. Get involved. Be in the big things and be in the little things. That's the model in today's world. And when you follow that model, I promise you, you will experience God. 
Okay, what's the second thing we can do to experience God's presence this Christmas and beyond? I found in the story, I think the second thing is that we should share, we should share what God is doing. In verse 16 and 17, we go a little bit further along. And the shepherds then went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known, underline that phrase, they made known. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So they made known, all right? They talked about it. They told people. You know, one of the most famous Christmas trees in all the world, and I love this every year, is the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree in New York City. Did you know that each year the tree is anywhere from 70 to 100 feet? And this year, in 2022, I looked it up, it's actually 82 feet tall, it's 50 feet wide, and it weighs 14 tons. That's a pretty big Christmas tree. I don't know if it'd fit in your home. (laughs) It's between 85 to 90 years old, and for the past few years, it's covered with over 50,000 LED lights. It's beautiful. Now, of course, we know those lights are a little bit different than the original Christmas trees that uh, uh, were all over the German countryside where the tradition started. Originally, it was candles attached to tree limbs with melted wax, and then, of course, electricity became available, and all of that was replaced. But regardless of the type of lighting, Christmas trees have always been displaying lights. And why is that? Well, originally, illuminating dark houses in the dead of winter were a welcome a sight for travelers to come to someone's home and brought cheer. But for Christians, it's always been the same reason. The reason's obvious. It's to celebrate the birth of Christ, who came as the light of the world. We find that in John 1. Theximian declared when seeing the infant Jesus in the temple, he said, Jesus is a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So there's no doubt if you know the Bible at all that the Bible encourages you and I to shine our light amidst the darkness of this world. Isn't that true? That's what God wants us to do. But the bigger question comes, what type of person does God use in shining this bright light to the world? I mean, some people think that God just uses, you know, pastors and God uses teachers and God uses musicians, but he can't use me. I'm a, I'm a finance person. I'm a, I'm a baker. I, um, you know, I, I do a landscaping. I'm a, I'm a teacher at a grade school. God can't use me. I just have a regular job. I'm a shepherd. I just do regular things. Huh, that's interesting, isn't it? What kind of person does God use to tell his story to people? Let's go back into the text and find out. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they, the shepherds, made known the saying that had been told them. So I see four things in this quick little passage, in this spiritual encounter. It's the same four things we can do. They traveled quickly. They found the right place to go. They received the good news. And the most important part, they shared the story. I don't have time to break down all four of those, but I want to focus in on that last part. They share the story. You see, friend, if you want to experience the presence of God like the shepherds did, then share your story. That's the person God uses. There's no qualifier. Anybody who wants to share the story of what God's doing in their life, that's the person God uses. You see, friend, you have a story to tell, but have you shared it? Have you shared it? In fact, just think about this year, 2022. Have you, did you share your story of what God's done in your life to anybody in the year 2022? Don't let 2023 go by, right? Share your story. But I hear somebody say, but nobody wants to hear my crummy story. Nobody wants to hear my uninteresting story. It's a boring story. But I got to tell you, friend, nobody's story is boring. Your story is exciting because it's a true story. 
about how God is intersecting in your life. And never forget this. Your story isn't powerful because the story is about you. Your story is powerful because it's about the power of God working through you. That's what makes your story powerful. And it's been my experience that people all around us are looking for what we have. I'm telling you, this is true. They really are. The statistics are in. The, 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 the experts in psychology and psychiatry and social workers, they're all telling us, pastors, we're all saying the same thing. People are lonely in our world. People are anxious in our world. People are confused. People are upset. People are frustrated. People are lost. And you and I have the message that they need to hear. I want to teach you something I found this week that I thought was fascinating. Let's go back a little bit in the story in Luke 2, verse 10. When the angel was talking to the shepherds, here's what he said. They said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. In Luke 2, 10, why did the angel say, fear not? Well, if you know the Bible story, in verse 9, he said, fear not, because the shepherds, when the angels showed up, were in great fear. That's what happened. They were in great fear. And I think this passage serves as a little bit of a model for us in our culture today. What do I mean by that? Many people are fearful in our society. They really are. They're frightened about the future. They're frightened about their finances. They're frightened about their health, about relationships. They're frightened about their job security. And the list goes on. And most people, if you sat down and talked to them like I get to do in my job, most people are frightened at the prospect of standing before a holy God at the end of their life. When they've passed from this world to the next and they don't know what they're going to say to God. How will God evaluate my life, they wonder. Will I even make it to heaven? Friend, people are scared. But the Bible says, fear not. Well, how do we go from fear not to 100% confidence. How do we get there? We get there because you and I have the message of the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we tell people about. I came across this quote from Christian author and pastor Alistair Begg. He pastors a church in Ohio. I like the way he said it. He said, the way we go from great fear to great joy is to discover the good news of salvation found in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the shepherds simply made known what they saw and heard. That's it. Friend, if you want to experience God's presence this Christmas and all throughout next year, follow the example of these humble shepherds. Make known the good news of Jesus and who he is in your life. And tell people how God helped you move from great fear to great joy in your everyday living through the good news of Jesus Christ. Tell people that story. That's a message the people of our world will listen to. People all over social media are getting online pontificating, telling us their story. And quite frankly, I'm getting sick of their stories. <laughs> it's about time the church of God stood up and started telling our stories. Isn't that true? Well, some of you I know may be a little bit more like people I know. I have people in my family that are a little bit more... Uh, timid than I am. Not everybody likes to get up in front of a bunch of people and talk every Sunday, right? So I understand that. You may feel, well, how can I reach people? Well, the good news is you can tell a story 
in a variety of different ways. Again, many times the way we reach somebody isn't through the big ways like we do here on Sunday morning or what God's called me to do. Sometimes we reach another person through simple yet meaningful ways instead, small things. Some of you know Jerry Rice who played for the San Francisco 49ers. I thought you might like to hear a little bit about his story. Jerry Rice was a longtime star for the San Francisco 49ers, considered obviously to be one of the great receivers in history of football. He played for the 49ers for 15 years, from 1985 to the year 2000. Did you know that uh, Jerry Rice obviously was a star athlete, and you would think that he would have come from some legendary university college team, but do you know that he didn't? He came from a small university, Mississippi Valley State University, in a small town in a very small state, virtually unknown place in our country. He was once asked, why did you attend such a small, obscure university like Mississippi Valley State? Rice responded, out of all the big-time schools to recruit me, Mississippi Valley was the only school to come to my house and give me a personal invitation. Interesting, isn't it? All the big-time schools, Notre Dame, UCLA, all recruited through big methodologies, but only one came to meet him and show Jerry Rice personal attention. It makes a difference in this world, friend, to see and talk to people eye-to-eye and invite them to be a part of something, and every single one of us in this room here today has the opportunity to do that in our community. Talk to people eye-to-eye. You know, Jesus did that. You know, as Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, the scripture says that he saw Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, and he approached them, and he invited them to be a part of something big, and they said yes. He went a little further down the beach, and he saw two more brothers, James and John, and Jesus went up and he extended to them the same simple invitation, and they followed him, and their lives were changed forever. A simple invitation. Friends, your influence in a person's life is in direct proportion to the type of personal connection that you have with them. And that's how Jesus did it. That's how we should do it. And when we do, you and I will experience the presence of God in a new and exciting way. So we've learned two things so far. We've learned that we can experience God's presence by being where God's moving and then by sharing what God is doing. What's the third way? We can experience the promise of God's presence when we reflect on what God has done. Reflect on what God has done. So we get to verse 18 to 20, the final part of our passage today, and here's what it says. And all who heard it, the shepherds, their message, all who heard it, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And I underlined five key words uh, in that passage. So what we're finding today is that the first two action steps are designed to be um, action steps that encourage uh, more something tangible. Go, do, you know, things of this nature. This third step we're going to learn is a little bit more introspective in nature. If you're like me, you notice there are five verbs in the passage that give us a clear picture of how to experience God in another way in our life. Here they are. Wonder, treasure, ponder, glorify, and praise. Those were the five verbs. And the scripture or the structure of the scripture in this passage allows us to create two different categories. A category I'll call meditation or devotion and a category of what I'll call worship. And here are the five verbs, how they fit up on the screen. 
Meditation, we see wandered and treasured and pondered. In worship, we see glorify and praising. Let me break it down a little bit easier. Basically, the people wondered, Mary treasured and pondered, and the shepherds glorified and praised. That's what the Bible's teaching us, and that's what happened after the shepherds returned home. And all of this that you see in this short little passage is teaching us and pointing to the fact that these people, no matter their connection to the birth of Jesus, responded in a way that I believe stirred the curiosity of their soul and yet satisfied the interests of their mind. You know, one of the ways to experience God is deep within your soul and deep within your mind. Many Christians have developed the idea and many non-Christians have been mistaken to say that belief in Christ is unfounded. Friend, that's simply not true. I've heard skeptics claim that belief in God is not tenable intellectually. They boast and brag about science and how, how science somehow disproves God or science replaces God. That's ridiculous. None of those statements are true. In fact, if you think about it, the truth of the matter is without God, there would be no science. He created it all. It's God who created the very world in which the researcher completes his experiments. Isn't that true? Think about it. Without God, there are no experiments. Without God, there's no world. Without God, there's no scientists. But we see in this last part of the story today that although there are empirical ways in which we can find and experience God, the Bible's teaching us that we can experience God in a more thoughtful or motive way. And one of those ways is through our minds. All throughout the Bible, if you've studied it, you find that the people of God reflect on God and who he is and what God has done in their life and how that reflection then provides a beautiful picture, a mosaic of who God is in our life, especially as it relates to creation and how we fit into the whole narrative of the biblical story. But here are just a few verses to help you start on your reflection of God. If you want to do that this week, I found a couple of verses. You can start here in Psalm 77. I will ponder all your work and I will meditate on all your deeds. The psalmist also writes in Psalm 119, I will study your commandments and I will reflect upon your ways. Further on down, Psalm 119, I'll stay awake through the night thinking about your promise. How many of you have stayed awake through the night? being worried. <laughs> I don't think I've ever stayed awake through the night thinking about all of God's promises, but that's what the psalmist is saying, right? Next time you get worried, go get your Bible. Open up God's promises and stay awake through the night thinking about God's promises. Here's another great verse, Psalm 145. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Ponder, meditate, study, think, meditate. These are the types of words that Christians have been using throughout generations. We reflect on what God has done. We reflect on who God is. We absorb the fact that he is in control of the future. And when we stop and we reflect in a quiet time of prayer, I'm telling you, we can sense the presence of God there. Our faith in Christ, friend, is not an emotional faith, but it does have emotion tied to it because as human beings, we have emotions. But so much of our experience with God is because we have thought, because we have pondered, because we have considered, because we have meditated, and because we have deliberated these things. I know that's true in my life, and I'm sure that's true in many of your lives as well. But in the midst, I have to tell you, in all of this thinking and pondering and considering, sometimes, even before all of that, or during all of that, or after all of that, we come to the place of these simple shepherds, 
and we do what they do. We come to a place of just sheer awe and wonder, and we worship. Isn't that cool? You know, if you remember the story, after experiencing the angel and then going to see Jesus face to face, they went away, and they told everybody what they saw. And then in an act of joy, what did they do? They worshiped. They worshiped God. What a great picture. I don't know if these shepherds had great voices or not. Probably not. I don't know if they played any instruments. Maybe. Maybe one of them was like David could play a harp. I have no idea. But on that day, on that night, they did. They worshiped God. I think that's awesome. That's why we worship God every Sunday morning here. That's why we're going to have a worship night on January 15th because I want to bring the people of God together and let's just have a time glorifying and praising God together. When was the last time you did that? Opened up your heart and just worship God. When was the last time you driving in your car and you turned on the Christian radio and they had some good songs, you just juiced it up real loud and you just started singing with everything you got? And then people driving by you, yeah, right? <laughs> and people drive by, look at you, and who is that, right? What is that crazy person doing? I'm worshiping God, man. I'm glorifying God. That's what you got to do sometimes, friend. If you've never done it, I encourage you to do it. And you do it in a car because it's just you and no one can hear you, right? Just have fun with it, right? It's a great time. God loves it, and you will be blessed by that. So when was the last time you sat down and reflected on God? And when was the last time you glorified and praised God in song? So I'm going to encourage you this Christmas to set aside some time to do that. And as you move into 2023, continue to do that because when you do, uh, you and I will experience God in some new ways. All right, let's kind of wrap this up today. So what have we learned? So we learned today that we can experience the promise of God's presence when we decide to be where God is moving, share what God is doing, and reflect on what God has done in our life. Now, I started out this message by asking you a very um, important question, and here it is. What if God wanted to meet you? What if God wanted to see you face to face? What if he wanted to introduce himself to you? How would you feel about that? Now, for those of you in the room that already know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you probably would be excited at that prospect. In fact, in many ways, you have already met the Lord. But when I ask that question to some people, maybe some of you in this room or some of you watching online at one of our venues, the idea of a holy God wanting to meet you face to face, that's darn right intimidating. In fact, it's very scary and it's very overwhelming for you. And I understand that. But more importantly, it doesn't matter if I understand that. I want you to know God understands that. You know, it's one of the reasons why he came to this planet as a baby, so that we wouldn't be afraid of him. Never forget that. It was so that we could relate to him and so we could connect with him. And he, he did all of this because of his great love for you, for each and every one of us. Never forget that. But some of you in this room, some of you watching online, you're, you're flying blind today in life. You're living life on your own. You have no hope. You look at your life and you're afraid. You're lost. You don't know where to turn. You've tried what the world has to offer, what the world's told you to do, and it's failed you. You put your trust in another person or other people and they have let you down. And today you're here and you've run out of hope and in many ways you have run out of time. 
You know, the famous uh, Christian evangelist and leader of the 20th century, Billy Graham, tells the story of an 18-year-old student pilot who was making a solo flight across the country when she became lost in a storm. Something had gone terribly wrong with one of her instruments. And so she reached for her radio and made contact with the local air traffic controller. And she said, I don't know where I am. I need help. Please, please help me. The controller located her on his radar screen and began talking her down to a nearby airport. And she couldn't see a thing. But he could see her on his radar screen. He knew where she was, which direction she was headed, where she needed to go, and the best way to get there. And in that moment, that young girl trusted her life to a man she had never seen. And he got her out of the storm and safely to the ground. Today, friend, you can trust the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have never seen him with your naked eye. You may not know him, but he's been waiting for you with open arms to help you. And so I'm asking you today to quit flying blind through life and put your faith and put your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you do, I promise you, you will experience God in a new way this Christmas. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we can come before you during this time at the end of our message. We thank you, Lord, for the people in the Bible that lived out what we're learning today. I think of them, they had to go through it the first time without much of an example. It was just, they just did it. And Lord, we have their example and through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you've preserved that for us. And Lord, we thank you that we can be where you're moving. We can share what you're doing and we can reflect on what you've done. And I thank you, Lord, for every person in this room that has committed their heart to you and committed their life to you. And I pray, God, this Christmas and this coming year in 2023, that, Lord, they would learn to experience you a little stronger, a little better as they follow these steps. But, Lord, I'm also mindful of those in our room today and maybe those that are watching online across the network, that maybe they've never given their heart over to you and they are lost. They're without hope and everybody's let them down. And, Lord, they're crying out for help. Lord, today, I pray you pull them into your presence, into relationship with you. And if you're here today in this room or watching online and you want to commit your heart to Christ, why don't you pray this prayer right where you sit? Dear Jesus, I thank you today that I've heard this message. I want to respond by giving my life to you. Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my Savior and to be my Lord. Lead me, guide me, direct me. Forgive me of my sin, Lord, I'm so sorry. And I thank you. Upon the authority of God's word, I can have forgiveness through what you've done upon the cross. Lord, help me to live for you from this day forward. I want to follow you. I want to be a Christian. And Father, wherever that prayer was prayed in this room or again across the online folks, I pray God your Holy Spirit would let them know today their name has been written in the Lamb's book of life and they now are sealed in your family. And help us as a church, Lord, continue to come aside, come alongside them and help them each step of the way. And we thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer this morning to receive Christ, I want to tell you that is amazing. And you begin a new journey today with God. 
If you want to meet me after the service, I'll be down here. Uh, I'd love to meet you. But more importantly, uh, at the end of the service, we have an area right out this direction called Next Steps. We have a Bible for you. We'd love to get you a Bible. We had folks in the first service. Each and every week, we have people going to Next Steps, getting their Bible to start their relationship with God. And I think that's so exciting. It's one of the ways we can help you in your relationship with the Lord. So at the end of the service, I invite you to do that. Amen. For the rest of us, why don't we stand and let's do our benediction. Amen. And now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, Compass Church. Have a great Sunday. I hope to see you on Christmas Eve.